Wow, y'all got quiet quick. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good to see everyone this beautiful day. Welcome to Gateway Baptist Church. Excited you're all with us to worship. For those watching us online, we're glad you're able to join us this morning. Very exciting morning. We get to experience a wonderful time and celebration of Believer's Baptism in a little bit. But before that, just a few announcements uh, before we enter into a time of singing to the Lord. Uh, as a reminder, no Wednesday activities this Wednesday due to Thanksgiving. So enjoy, hopefully, your families and travels. And we'll be praying for all of you, as many, I'm sure, are going out of town in different places. Uh, final reminders this morning, but uh, Operation Christmas Child boxes are due this morning. So if you have them in your car or may have forgotten, you can run and get them. Uh, you can obviously see them in the hallway, and we'll deliver them tomorrow to the necessary place to start heading to Atlanta. Also, another reminder about our new Christmas fellowship this year, uh, this wonderful walkthrough, uh, amazing walkthrough nativity scene up in Eclectic. It's about 45 minutes away. Uh, many of you have already registered online. You can go to our website at gatewaybaptist.com on our news and events page to register. Uh, we had 80 slots available that Gateway is providing and paying for. And from what Grady's told me, it's about 70% full. So if you want to sign up today with your families, advanced registration is needed. You can go to the website to get all the information. It's Saturday, December 2nd at 6.30. And lastly, uh, we always love to celebrate what happens in our body with our faith family. So not to put him on the spot, but we are. Uh, well, I'd like to ask Clay Williams, would you stand my brother? He just graduated from the year-long program at Fisher's Farm, and we celebrate with you, my friend. I'm so excited for you and what God's doing. And uh, just blessings to you, brother, and just watching your life and the testimony you bring. We're just so grateful the Lord has you with us and the future he has for you, brother. We're just so excited. Well, let's stand and prepare our hearts to worship the Lord this morning. He was worthy of our praise. I'm going to read Psalm chapter 24. And David declares, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your head, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. And who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. Let's worship him this morning. A single God of power, living word. Oh, God of power, living word.
mates to wait. Of course, you not to recount your praise again and again. You are our song from mates to wait. We will proclaim your power to say again and again. of heaven and sorry heights the lights of the evening dancing in silent skies brilliance of morning a breaking day and oh let them
This is the power of Christ in me From life's first cry to final prayer Jesus commands my destiny Christ, we have nothing to fear. We do not fear your judgment or your wrath that we deserve, but we stand forgiven simply because of what Christ has done. So thank you that we get to sing the gospel, celebrate the gospel, and now get to celebrate it in baptism. We give you the praise for your grace and your work. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. We get the joy of celebrating a baptism this morning. This is the baptism of Hannah Haberkorn and her parents, Tom and Jennifer, are there in the tank with her. Now let me just remind you why we do baptisms. Going to Jesus is what we often call the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now I almost forgot something. Boys and girls, I know you want to see your friends, so you all come on down. I don't want to forget. I know you want to be able to come sit up front to see us. Now while the boys and girls who so want to come up front do that, let me just remind you, baptism, there's nothing magical about baptism. This is a person's profession of faith in Christ. It's how a person says, I believe in Christ. I believe that Christ died on the cross for my sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, defeating death and giving us life. It's also an identification with Christ, saying because of what Christ has done for me, because of God's grace, I'm buried to my old way of life, and God has given me a new nature in Christ. He's raised me to walk in newness of life. So this is a person's confession of faith that they are a follower of Christ and believing in who Christ is and what he's done, but also in saying Christ has changed him. It's also a pronouncement of the church. We're saying we believe God's grace is at work in you. We see evidence of God's grace in your life. So Hannah, we are excited to celebrate with you God's grace and what he has done in your life. So we're going to begin by having your testimony shared, and I believe your sister is going to Share it, read your testimony for us so we can all hear what God has done in your life. She said, I can't remember the date I was saved, but I remember that I was in my bed singing praises to God, and I felt a tug on my heart. I began singing the ABC song that I learned in BBS. A, admit to God that you're a sinner and repent. B, believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And C, confess your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. After each letter, I stopped and prayed, and I did what the letter said. After I finished, I felt joy come into my heart. My journey to baptism was long and tough, because some of you may know I'm very shy. I talked to my mom and my dad, and they encouraged me to pray for courage, and said they would be praying along with me. It really helped to see my best friend Leela get baptized. 
We talked, and she told me how nervous she was. And I encouraged her that God was with her wherever she was, and I realized the same thing applied to me and my being scared. I realized Jesus was important enough for me to do anything he asked me to do, even if I'm scared. My favorite scripture is one that I memorized in Miss Lori's class, Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar, and you search out my path. I love the whole chapter. It is so encouraging to me. I repeat it to myself often out loud. I am grateful for my family and really lucky to be in this church family. I am grateful for all of you. You have helped me in many different ways on my journey to faith. Hannah, I am so proud of you, (laughs) knowing how shy you are, but you know the Lord is your strength. Acts 2, 38-39 says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, and for all, who, for all whom the Lord our God will call. I know you have talked about becoming a missionary, and I hope that if the Lord calls you to that, then you will remember Romans 10, 11 through 13. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Hannah, as you call on the Lord and as he and become one of his own, I pray that you will remember to pray and read your Bible It was a great testimony, a great encouragement for your sister. Now, Leela, I think you, you're right here, and I think you have something you want to share. So, you ready? So, Hannah, you've been my friend since my family moved here. I'm so proud of you for showing Can I do it any better? I don't know. <laughs> uh, she said, I'm so proud of you for showing your faith in Jesus. Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Goodness, Hannah, <laughs> you have knocked on the door of faith and Jesus has let you in as your child. I love you. So does Lila because it's her paper. Um, thank you for being my best friend. And while I'm here, I'll read that. <laughs> um, Hannah, today I'm so thankful to get to watch you take this huge step. I've seen Jesus in you most of your life. But standing in front of people, it's not your favorite thing to do. But you were willing to do the hard things because he's called you to that. And I think of Proverbs 17:17 17, 17, when I think of you and Leela's friendship. A friend loves at all times and a brother or sister is born for adversity. The Lord has gifted you with seeing people's feelings and walking them through how to understand them. And he keeps, um, I think you keep leaning into that and the Lord's going to give you wisdom in how to walk other people through that. And sometimes those things aren't noticed, right? But they're huge. And I also, Miss Molly had to stay in the nursery because we had some people sick. So she also wrote something. And she said, what a wonderful day. I'm so happy to know that you have. (laughs) 
trusted Jesus as your Savior and are obediently stepping out to be baptized in front of your church family. God has gifted you with such a sweet spirit, and you're mature beyond your years. He will use you in amazing ways. I will pray that you will continue growing by reading his word and spending time with him. Thankful for this day. Ms. Molly loves you. Ah, oh, thank you for that. sister to me, and I hope the Lord will always work in your life. I love you, love Maggie. Okay, Hannah, this is a way that um, you and I understand one another, and that is how we feel about being in front of people, um, talking in front of people in general, and so I know that's already been said, um, but this is just a special way that I see the Lord working in your life. Um, like you said in your testimony, this is important enough, even if it's uncomfortable for you, um, and so I'm just thankful you're sharing this, not only for the church body as a whole, but for all of your friends to see um, how the Lord has made you brave, and I love you. Okay, Miss Laurie, our Sunday school teacher, would like to share. So let me come around over here, Miss Laurie. Okay, Hannah. Um, I'll just say three things, okay? I wrote you a long note, but I'll just say three quick things. Um, I wrote the same thing that we shared our fear. We both had the same fear. And we talked about it and we asked God for courage to be able to do this. And this is what I see you saying I am not ashamed of the gospel. That's what you're doing today. You're up here saying that I'm not ashamed of what God has done in my life. Even though it's scary, God has given you the courage to do it. And um, I see the fruit. Oh, and happy baptism day. Because we're celebrating together. And I, I wanted to say I see the fruit of God in your life in, in many ways. But I'm just going to name a few. It's patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. And the third thing is we share another thing besides that fear. We share a love for little children. And I see how you love children and how you flock to them and they flock to you. And then the Lord was reminding me that he said we, we have to be like a child to come into the kingdom of God. He doesn't mean to be childish. He means us to be childlike. And so as you grow up, I don't want you to ever lose that childlike heart that doesn't look at the outside of people, but looks at their hearts. A child is honest. A child is real. A child could be afraid too, but it gets courage from that childlike faith from God. Okay, so just remember that. And, um, and I just want to say, when I grow up, I want to be like you, okay? So the Christ in you, and I love you. Oh, thanks, Laurie. This has got some grim here. It's another family up here. Else like to share up here, precious little Hannah. You are truly a child of the King, and my sister in Christ. I know it's been a, it was hard for you to come up and be in front of people, and that's what gave me the verse that I'd like to give to you today, from Second Timothy chapter one verse seven. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but one of power 
and love and their self-discipline. There's nothing wrong with being a little bit anxious about things. I thought about Joshua before he led the children into, into the promised land. And I thought about the fact that the Lord came to him and told him no less than four, four times, be strong and courageous and do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And I love you so much, sweetie. Thanks, Dave. Before we turn over to appearance in England. Yeah. Hello, Hannah. Yeah. We came so far to see this, and we're so happy that we're able to be part of, uh, part of your baptism today. Uh, Nanny and I both love you. You know that. And, um, you know, I hear people talk about how shy Hannah is, but have you ever seen her dance around in the room and sing and, and now she's playing piano? It's amazing. Uh, I think a lot of that shyness is just maybe a facade, you know, <laughs> of the real Hannah. Uh, but uh, what's so special today is uh, that uh, you're my, <clears throat> you're my grand, <clears throat> let me see, you're my granddaughter and uh, uh, it's so neat uh, that Nanny uh, mentions about how you're like the only granddaughter that calls us once a week, you know, and keeps up with us and checks in on us. But you're also my sister now. I mean, when you accepted Christ as your Savior, you became part of the family, and now you're my sister. And I praise God for that. I love you, sweetie. Thanks. Okay, Tom and Jennifer, let you have the final closing words of challenge to her, and then you get the joy of baptizing her. And, and a word that has come up over and over again as we've been talking is the word journey. Um, and I just want to remind you that, that it is a journey, that there will be um, good times and there will be bad times. But through it all, if you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, then he will see you through. Okay. And I want to um, uh, encourage you with, with this verse that's in um, Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, verses 11 and 12 and, and Paul is talking to Timothy and he's encouraging him and I want these words to encourage you as well and he says but you pursue righteousness uh, godliness faith love endurance and gentleness take hold of the eternal life that has uh, that you have been chosen for and um, Basically, uh, and, and that you have given a good confession to many witnesses. So I um, just want to encourage you with those words and ask you a couple questions. Okay. Um, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe that he came to earth, he lived a sinless life, a perfect life, that he was crucified on the cross and took the punishment for our sins and rose again three days later? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you confessed your sins and asked him to become Lord of your life? Yes. And when you stand before God at the end, on the judgment day, um, will you uh, be able to go into heaven because of the things that you have done or because of your faith in Jesus? Because of my faith in Jesus. Then by the profession of your faith, I baptize you now, my sister in Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
And we rejoice with Hannah. Boys and girls, we're going to make your way back to your seats with your parents right now. Pastor CJ is going to come lead us in our prayer time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this celebration of the gospel. Thank you for Hannah's life and what a beautiful testimony and her witness already to so many. Lord, just with that thought, I just thank you for the kids that we saw go back on. And we just pray in the name of Jesus that you start working on the hearts of our children. We know you are doing so. We know there's faithful parents in this room who are representing the gospel well and sowing the gospel well. God, we just pray you continue to draw these precious little ones to yourself. We thank you for the ones that have already made professions of faith, but for those that haven't yet, Lord, we just pray that you would bring them to a place of repentance and understanding of what you came to do to set them free and to save them. Lord, give the parents wisdom and discernment as they continue to share with their children and read the scriptures together and provide that opportunity, Lord, when they can pray together and they can come to saving faith. We thank you for the kids you have blessed us with here. And just give the wisdom to Sunday school teachers and those that lead kids worship, all that are involved from the nursery on up, Lord, that as the gospel goes forth, that we would see our precious little ones come to faith. We thank you so much for their hearts. Lord, we thank you also and continue to pray and lift up the Hopes Ministry that's a part of our church here. And thank you so much for Seth and Megan Rodebeck and their leadership as they lead out in that and ministry to those at Capitol Heights Middle School and those in that community. We thank you, Lord, for the resources that you've provided to provide food and some basic essentials and different resources when the needs arise. And more than anything, God, we thank you for their faithfulness each Tuesday to bring the gospel, to be on that campus, to share biblical stories and, and their faith and testimonies. We pray, God, we ask in the name of Jesus for a harvest. We are asking, God, as, you, as one verse was declared, to ask to seek. Lord, we are asking that you would provide a harvest to Capitol Heights. We can see a revival break forth amongst those students. We thank you for Principal Harrison and his leadership and the man that he is. Continue to provide wisdom and guidance for him and the teachers, your protection over those students and the teachers as well. Continue to bless this ministry. Lord, we thank you we can lift up and pray for those with our extended family here in Montgomery. We thank you, Lord, for Pastor Daniel Atkins at Taylor Road Baptist. We thank you for their ministry and uh, their staff and all this involved. Lord, we pray you continue to give them wisdom and guidance as they meet the needs of those within their congregation and the sphere of influence in their community. We pray you bless Daniel and his family. Protect them, Lord. Give him wisdom and discernment as he ministers your word even today. We just thank you for uh, just the place that you've called them over there on Taylor Road. And Lord, thank you for the opportunities to pray for our family across the world. And right now there is a uh, missionary team in Thailand ministering to the Isan community there. They're leading a VBS and doing other gospel projects amongst that community there. We pray, God, that you continue to open doors. We pray for just a spirit of conviction and repentance to fall in that community. And Lord, you can start a revival through the kids. We pray, Lord, as they're doing the VBS, your Holy Spirit would move in such a way to draw those children to you that could have a direct impact on their families as the gospel goes forth. We pray you provide all that they need with their resources, whatever um, supplies and food, whatever it is, to minister to that community in Thailand. And Lord, we thank you for your provision. We ask you to bless our offering today and those that have been given today or online. Thank you for what you have blessed us with, what you have provided for us. Continue to give the leadership and staff wisdom on, Lord, how to be good stewards of your resources. 
finally, Lord, we thank you so much for Grady. Thank you for his heart to lead us, to shepherd us, to teach us your word each week. Just bless him today. Fill him afresh with your spirit. Give him wisdom and guidance. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning so that we can receive the beauty of your word. And God, we do pray every week that we experience conviction of your Holy Spirit as your word is taught because it points us directly to you. We thank you for your word that's going to be preached this morning. Continue to have your way, Holy Spirit. We love and bless you, Lord. All right, kids, you're dismissed for kids' worship. Miss Nikki will meet you in the hall. It's the first of fourth graders. You're welcome to go towards kids' worship. Parents, just a reminder, if you'll, as soon as the service is over, pick up your kids in the blue hallway in the gym building. Why don't you find Genesis chapter 2 in your copy of God's Word. Genesis chapter 2 this morning. As we continue our year-long journey through Genesis chapters 1 through 11, we have begun to see so many foundational truths that explain why God ordered the world as he did, truths that affect all parts of our life. And so foundationally over these first two chapters of Genesis, we've primarily seen who God is. We've been seeing his nature, his power, his wisdom, his sovereignty, his attributes on full display. We've been seeing his perfect plans, and we've been seeing in recent weeks his delight in providing for his people. But foundationally as well, we've been seeing who we are, our identity as humans, as people, we saw how Adam, the first man, was created from the dust and yet had the breath of God breathed into him. We saw how that humbles us and honors us. We saw how we are uniquely made in the image of God. But then we turned our focus and saw the great purpose that God gave to Adam. His purpose to have dominion, to rule over the world under God's authority. His purpose to work and to keep, to lead and to serve, to create things and to sustain the things that he has made. His purpose to be fruitful and multiply, to have the generations that come after him, not only physically, but spiritually as well, as he is to make disciples and point people to God in the generation that follows. And we saw how all those purposes still apply to us. But then last week, we saw a dramatic change in the account. Because for the first time, we saw God said something was not good. Something his creation was not complete. It was lacking. If you remember last week, what was lacking? It was other people, other image bearers, of God. If you remember from last week, God literally said, not good at all is it that man is alone. And so last week we saw that God made us for community, that we cannot fulfill those God-given callings in isolation. We need one another. We need helpers. And there's a lot of application to that. But in particular, the text now moves to a very particular application for Adam. And that was God graciously providing for Adam a wife. And that's the text that we come to today of God's gracious, generous provision of a wife for Adam. Now, this text we're going to actually look at over two more weeks. There's too rich to try to do at once. And so next we're going to focus on the end of the passage, verses 24 and 25, the marriage of Adam and Eve, the very first establishment of marriage in Scripture as a permanent institution. But today we're going to focus on the next three verses, verses 21, 22, and 23, on the creation of Eve the first woman, because these three verses are packed with meaning and packed with challenging truths for us about the nature of women in God's creation. So as you read Genesis 2, 21 to 23, they look for the very unique way that God created Eve. It's totally different than anything God has done up until this point. But not just the what, look at the why question. God could have made Eve any way he chose. He could have made her from dust like he did Adam. He could have just spoken her into being ex nihilo out of nothing, but he didn't. Why would God create Eve this way? What is he trying to teach us about the nature of women and the way that he made Eve? So be looking for those things as we read. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Genesis chapter 2, 
We're look at verses 21 to 23 this morning. We'll also have the words on the screen. I'm reading out the English Standard Version. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up his place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your unchanging word. God, we thank you that you're a revealing God who has shown yourself to us and shown us who we are. So as we study the creation of Eve today, I pray you use your word to be shaping and molding our hearts so we see people the way you see people. Be molding us into the type people you desire us to be. For your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So again, the context of what we're looking at today, God has said that something is not good that he's addressing. The verses we just read are God addressing a not good situation. Go back up to verse 18 from last week just to remember how this all flows together. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And then go down to verse 20. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So that's the context. That's the not good at all is it that God is addressing. So now God addresses the situation. Go back to verse 21. Notice the first word, so. God is taking decisive action because there's something incomplete still in his creation. And don't miss this, though. We mentioned it last week. This is all God's initiative. This is his plan, his design. Adam's not sitting around complaining to God that he needs a helper. Adam didn't even know he had a need. This is God in his infinite wisdom saying this is what humanity needs. This is what Adam needs. This is all God's initiative, God's design. So what does God do here? God does three things. Now, before we look at the three things God does, let me remind you, Genesis is written for us to be historical, to understand it as historical. This is not a myth. This is not a fairy tale. This is not a nice story. The genre, the writing style is all used in recording actual history. It was understood by the original audience as historical. Jesus himself will quote these verses right after what we're reading today as historical things that happened. And so this is something that may be hard for our minds to imagine. We're reading actual history here of God's creation of the world. Now with that said, what are the three things that God does in this situation? Number one, first of all, God puts Adam to sleep. The first thing we see happen here is God puts Adam to sleep. Go back to the beginning of verse 21. So, as God addresses the situation, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. Once again, here's the name of God we've been seeing all throughout chapter 2, Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God. This is the covenant God relating to his people. But notice something. He doesn't tell Adam what he's about to do. He doesn't give Adam a warning. Hey, Adam, it's not good that you're alone, so I'm going to let you take a little nap here. And when you wake up, you're going to have better than a Christmas morning surprise. There's going to be a wife waiting for you. He doesn't tell him any of that. He just puts him to sleep and wakes him up when the work is finished. Now, have you ever paused to wonder why God put Adam to sleep for this? Have you thought about that? There may be the obvious surgical part of it, right? The surgical part of it. I can't see my own blood being drawn without almost passing out. So maybe Adam was like me, and this wouldn't be good to watch his side get slit open, right? And so there might be that part, but I think there's a deeper meaning here of why God put Adam to sleep. And that's because there are things that God does that are too glorious for us to see and understand. There are things that God does that are too glorious for us to see and understand. There are things that God is doing that's beyond the scope of us to witness, to process, to even understand. So this is not the only place in Scripture where God puts someone to sleep when he's doing something remarkable. This happens with Abram, when God makes a covenant with Abram. Genesis chapter 15, verse 12. Notice the same terminology here in Genesis. I think we have it on the screen for you. Genesis 15, 12. 
as the sun was going down, a, same word as before, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great things. Can you go back one, back still to verse 12? There we go, thank you. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. So notice the same term, there's a deep sleep. Who gives a deep sleep? God's giving it to him. And what happens in the deep sleep? Then the Lord said to Abram, this is while Abram's asleep, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they'll be afflicted for 400 years. Then in verse 14, we see more of what happens. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. So while Abram's in a deep sleep, God is telling him what's going to happen. Now jump to verse 17 as well, and look at what happens later on with the covenant. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. These are the pieces of the offerings. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So here you have God making a covenant in this very remarkable way with Abram, but to do it, he puts Abram in a deep sleep. Why? It's too glorious for him to process normally, but also Abram had nothing to contribute. This is all God's work, and so he was the passive recipient of what God was doing here. And the same thing is happening here. Go back to verse 21 this morning. So Yahweh Elohim caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. What's about to happen is going to be too glorious for Adam to witness directly, and Adam has nothing to do himself. This is all God's initiative, God's divine work. So that's the first thing God does, he puts them to sleep. Now before we move on, there's a big reminder for us in this truth. It's a reminder to us that God is bigger than us, and God does things that we cannot see and that we may never understand. God doesn't give Adam an explanation. God just does it. And all throughout our lives, God in his infinite wisdom will be doing things that we are not privy to understand why he does them or even how he does them. He's working his divine plan, and he calls us to trust him. He doesn't owe us explanations any more than he owed Adam an explanation of what was happening. So the first thing God does here is he puts Adam to sleep. Now the second thing God does, he does while Adam is asleep here. The second thing is he creates the very first woman. So go back to verse 21 here and notice what happens. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, this is what God's doing, God took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. Now this word rib here is actually better translated side. Throughout most of the scripture when you see the word rib, it's usually translated side. So yes, it would include a rib bone but also include the flesh around that rib bone. So it means that God took from Adam literally a rib and literally flesh and will use that to make the woman. And this is exactly what Adam proclaims. Look down at verse 23 when he sees her for the first time. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. So God takes that raw material, go back to verse 22 here, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Now, this is significant, friends, because up until this point, all non-living things were made by God just speaking them out of nothing. Living things, animals and Adam, he made from the dust. But he makes Eve different here. He specifically forms her as the first living thing that's formed from another living thing. Now, why would he do this? Why would he make Eve not from the dust like Adam or not just speaking her into being? Why does he make her from part of the man? Because he's showing us Eve's equality with Adam, that she's made from the exact same substance as the man. She will join him thus as being an image bearer of God together. But even though she is equal in personhood, equal in worth, equal in image bearing, equal in value to God, God is also stressing here that he's making her different, though she's equal. Again, look at verse 22. In the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And don't skip over that word made there. 
It's the first time you ever see this word in Scripture. This is not the word God has used of anything else in creation up until this point. This is a new word in Scripture for us. The word made here means to build something, to fashion something. It's a word that's used when someone intentionally crafts something. It's a word used of artisans making something beautiful. It would later be used to describe the artisans decorating the temple. And so this is important because God is fashioning the woman beautifully and different than the man. God is not cloning the man here. So for those who are Star Wars nerds, nerds like me, this is not what's happening when they take on the island or the planet Camino and make a clone army, okay? They're not just duplicating. God's not taking some DNA and cloning Adam to make another Adam. He's making someone carefully and uniquely different than Adam. So physically she would be different, but in her inner being she would be different also. She's equal in worth, made from the man, but it's going to be formed differently than the man by God's perfect crafting design. Richard Phillips, one of my favorite authors, says this, This explains why men and women do not think the same way, process information in the same manner, find the same things interesting, and go about things with the same approach. Because God has taken the same raw materials for Eve, but made her, fashioned her very distinctly different by his design from the man. So the second thing God does here after he puts Adam to sleep is he makes the woman from the man from her side. Now before we move on, that gives us several important truths here we need to make sure that we understand here. And those are truths about the nature of women. Throughout history, there's been so much wrong teaching about the nature of women or the worth of women. But from the beginning of Scripture, God is showing us who women are. And there's three things I want you to see from how God made women. Number one, women have great worth in God's sight. Women have great worth in God's sight. Go back to Genesis 1:27 here when we first saw the summary that's now being unpacked here for us of creation. So God created man in his own image. And the image of God, he created him. And notice this, male and female, he created them. So from the beginning, God has given equal worth to men and to women. He has made women equal image bearers with men in proclaiming the image of God. This shows us that God cares for, he loves, and he values women in the same way he does men. In fact, if you look in the New Testament, Jesus elevates women to a place unheard of in the cultures at the time. And so we see the great worth God gives to women, and we see that men and women have equal access to salvation. They have great worth to God. Number two, that women have great purpose in God's plans. Women have great purpose in God's plans. Go back to verse 20, right before our text today. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Notice this word helper here, friends. This word has been misunderstood and misused in the past. Helper does not in any way imply weakness. The word helper means strength and ability. In fact, most times in Scripture you see the word helper, it's used about God. It's a word that describes God himself. So, for example, 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, you see this. 1 Samuel 7, 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called his name Ebenezer. So, you know, when we sing that old hymn, Here I Raise Mine Ebenezer, if you're not sure what we're talking about, that's what we're talking about here. It's a stone of help. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. And so the Hebrew word for help is the Hebrew word ezar, that last part of Ebenezer, a stone of help. And so God here is the one who is our helper. Go to Psalm chapter 30, verse 10. You see the same truth being said. Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. Exact same word in the same form you see it used in Genesis 2. Or in Psalm 54, 4, the same thing here. In Psalm 54, behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. Same word, same form used of the woman here in Genesis chapter 2. Helper does not mean weakness or inferior because it's used of God himself. 
And so like I mentioned last week, helper is someone who supplies strength in the area where it's lacking. To be a helper is to supply strength in an area where it's lacking. So go back to verse 18 of Genesis 2. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So God makes women to use their God-given strength to help in accomplishing God's purpose. God made women to join the men in taking dominion over the world and working and keeping the world and all those in it and being fruitful and multiplying, yes, physically, but also spiritually. This is a call for women to be involved in discipling the next generation and pointing the world to Christ. Again, I love how Richard Phillips says it. He said, God did not call Eve a companion to Adam because that would suggest the primary purpose of mankind on earth is fellowship and relational fulfillment. In the same way, a woman is clearly and uniquely designed to be a mate to the man, but God did not call Eve a mate to Adam because that would suggest our primary purpose is procreation and sexual pleasure. God said Adam needed a helper because it places the primary emphasis on the shared mandate to work and to keep God's creation. And so the terminology is so important here. Again, she's not called a companion, though she was that. She's not called a mate, though she was that. She's called a helper because God gives great purpose to women to join men and together working to working to keep God's world. So women have great worth to God. Women have great purpose in God's plan. But number three, God made women to be different than men. God made women to be different than men. We live in a world of great confusion today on gender roles and sexuality. But from the beginning, God made two genders equal in worth but very different by design. God did not make a mirror image of Adam. God did not bring a group of women to Adam. He made a single woman to join Adam in a covenant relationship for life. And we'll talk more about that next week. But back to verse 18 of Genesis 2. The Lord God said, It's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper. Notice the next word. I'll make a helper fit for him. Now, this Hebrew word for fit can mean two things. It can mean corresponding to or it can mean opposite of, which is fascinating because I think both is in view here. It can mean corresponding to or opposite of. The woman corresponds to the man. She's equal in personhood to the man. She's equal in worth to the man. She's equal in image bearing to the man, but she's also opposite to the man. She is not a mirror image. She's more like a puzzle piece that clicks with him. She's different physically. She's different mentally. She's different emotionally, and they complement each other like a puzzle piece that clicks. There's a great publisher today called The Daily Grace Company, and one of their books says this, man, man and woman will be different and yet the same, partners perfectly fashioned to complement one another and more fully display the image of God in his unity and his diversity. We think about that. There's one God fully united, but who's diverse. He's three persons with different roles, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So God makes male and female in his image equal in worth, but with different roles as puzzle pieces that click together, unity in diversity. So, so far we've seen God puts Adam to sleep. He perfectly crafts a woman, but there's one more thing God does here in our text. He brings the woman to Adam. He brings her to Adam. Look at verse 22. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Now, God doesn't make Adam go looking for her. He's not like, hey, Adam, wake up. I got a surprise hidden somewhere in the garden. Go look for it. God brings her to Adam. And this is the first giving away of the bride. This is a grace gift from God. And God wanted to be clear. This is not a gift from Santa Claus hidden around the house somewhere. This was a grace gift that God had made and brought to Adam for his good and for God's glory and for the good of 
humanity. And notice what happens. Notice Adam's response when he sees her for the first time. Look at verse 23. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And this is significant, friends. These are the first human words ever recorded in the Bible. We're not told what Adam said when he named the animals. We're not told what Adam said when he taught with God in the garden. The first words that Scripture records just out of the mouth of an image bearer of God is this right here. It's not only the first words of a human record, it's the first poem in the Bible. It's also the first love song in the Bible. So long before there was Mix 103 doing cheesy love songs, you had a love poem in the Bible. It's the first words uttered or recorded for us out of the mouth of man. And so, kids, if you hear your parents saying romantic things to each other like they should be doing, and you overhear that, and maybe you'd be like, yuck, I don't want to hear that, but this is a good thing. It goes back to Genesis 2 and God's plan for a husband and wife to love each other and to express that love. And so notice what Adam says here. He's so overwhelmed, he proclaims in verse 22, at last. He cannot contain his excitement here. He says, she's bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He's recognizing the oneness and essence of who is standing before him, and yet how she's different, how she compliments him again, not as a mirror image, but a puzzle piece that clicks. And so it says here in verse 23 that he calls her woman because she was taken out of the man. Now this is before he gives her the name Eve. That will come in chapter 3. But right now, he just calls her woman. And much like our English, man and woman, in the Hebrew, man is the word ish, and woman is the word isha. They're very similar but different. Even the terminology God uses and that Adam uses here highlights the similarities and the differences all in the name. So at this point now, with the three things God has done, the not good situation has been rectified and the not good has become very good. Now before we move on from the story, there's an important lesson here for us. And I want to make this specific to the married men today. Because you see how Adam treasured his wife who just appeared to him and how he communicated that to her. This is instructive for us. Richard Phillips again says, how much has changed since Adam first said that? Because the reality now for us as married men, often our words are more harsh than life-giving like this. Our words can tear down so quickly and we live in worlds where we're pursuing our own agendas instead of delighting in and rejoicing in our wives. So men is a challenge to us married men make sure you are following the example of Adam and rejoicing in the worth and beauty and purpose of your wife. We'll come to that more as we keep progressing through Genesis. But for now, let's look at how all this comes together. Look back at verses 21 to 23 and see the big picture of the three things God does here to fix the not good and make it very good. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man And the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So here's the truth I want you to see as we summarize Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 to 23. It says, friends, God's unique creation of the first woman reminds us that God has given to women great worth and purpose in life. God's unique creation of the way he made Eve, not from the dust, Not just by speaking, but by taking some of Adam's flesh and his rib and crafting her. It shows us that God has given to women great worth and purpose in life. That they are equal, excuse me, they are equal in value to God. They are equal in personhood before God. They are equal in image bearing before God. They have great purpose in life and taking dominion and working in and keeping and in taking care of God's world. And in not only having the next generation, but discipling people and evangelizing people and pointing people to Christ. God has given from the beginning great worth and purpose to the women he has made in this world. So in light of that, I want to give a challenge, first to the women of Gateway. 
Do you understand how much God loves you? I know some of you have come out of homes with harsh fathers. I know some of you have come out of marriages with harsh husbands. Some of you may be in those places now where you have not had the type of affirmation that God designed for you to have like Eve would have heard from Adam in the first words he spoke to her. And our hearts grieve with you if that's you. But do you understand whether that's you or not how much God loves you? that you are fearfully and wonderfully made in God's plan? Do you understand how much, if you are in Christ, God has gifted you to serve, that he has given you spiritual gifts that he wants you to use to make him known and to build up his body? Do you understand your great work as an image bearer of God and one who can make Christ known? But to the men of Gateway, whether you're married or not, how are you doing valuing the women of your life? Even to the young boys in the room here, teenage boys and elementary age boys, how are you doing valuing your mom and valuing your sisters? Because this is setting a pattern for you of how you will respect and speak to women the rest of your life. Are you affirming their worth? Are you encouraging them to find their gifts and use their gifts in service? Are you helping them understand how much they are loved by God? And to all of us, friends, do we understand our worth and gifting from God? Friends, God went into great detail in this text not to give us a curiosity thing to go talk about at the coffee shop this week, but to help us understand how we are to treat one another, especially how we treat the women of our life. God's unique creation of the first woman reminds us that God has given to women great worth and purpose in life. With that said, I want us to see the words of Psalm 139 as we close today. Psalm 139, verses 13 to 17. A great reminder for all of us of how we are made and what God has for us. Psalm 139. For you, God, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. So friends, no, none of us were made like Adam out of the dust, like Eve from the side of someone else. But God still, with great intentionality, like he did with Adam and Eve, still have knit each of us together. Verse 14, he carries on. I praise you. Why, God? For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. Verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written every one in the days that were formed for me. For instance, we just pause right there. In Christ, God has a plan for you. And before he even formed you in your mother's womb, he already had a plan for you to glorify him, a plan for you to make him known. He already knew what gifts he was going to give you, what personality you were going to have, what interest you would have, and how he wanted to use those together for you to serve him. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Then verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that your plans are perfect and your ways are perfect. Thank you that you formed each one of us. Lord, none of us are accidents. We are all here by your sovereign design and by your perfect plan. I pray we would understand that, Lord. I pray that we would all come away today understanding that we were made by you for such a time as this, that we were made by you to glorify you, to serve you, to serve other people. Would you help us understand that more? Would you help us understand what it looks like this week to love you and to love others? And Lord, as we think about this particular text of the creation of Eve, Lord, I want to pray for the women of Gateway. I know there are some who've come out of very difficult situations. I pray today you would bring healing to their hearts. They would understand your great love for them. That They would understand how you've gifted them to serve. They would understand the great purpose you have for them in their lives. And for all the women of Gateway, I pray you would be giving them a stirring in their hearts to use their spiritual gifts to make you known, to build up the body of Christ, to be doing the task that you have set before them. Lord, for the men of Gateway, I pray that you would grow us in valuing the women you put in our lives. Whether it's our wives, whether it's female friends, Lord, whether it is 
uh, boys with their sisters and their moms. Lord, you know the relationships we have. Help us understand the value, the worth, the gifting of the women in our lives and help us be encouragers to those that you've put in our life. Lord, we know in all these things you have done this, Lord, so that you would be glorified and that your church would be built up. So be growing us and shaping us in how we relate to one another to accomplish your purposes. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning?
belong to you and you are holy. And I pray that before this day is over, that they would cry out in repentance and faith, even as we saw in Hannah's testimony today. And Lord, they too would find the joy of knowing you personally. And Lord, for those of us who know you, I pray that this would be our anchor through whatever we face this week, that you are holding us, that you that we are yours forever. And Lord, I pray we live accordingly. Help us not live for the things of this world. Help us not live for the temporal things that are so fleeting, but give us eyes to focus on eternity and you and your glory and what really matters. We do it this week at all as we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless your Gateway family. Have a great Sunday afternoon.